You're listening to the Catholic Recon Podcast. Testimonies from Reverts and Converts with host Eddie Trask. Visit eddietrask.com for more information. Don't forget to share with a friend and leave a review. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Catholic Recon Testimonies from Reverts and Converts. I'm your host, Eddie Trask, and this week's guest is Deacon Don Prendergast. Did I get that right? We didn't even discuss the... Yes, no, you got it right. Okay, good pronunciation. Um, Before we get to the guest, I want to remind everyone to subscribe and comment and share the videos uh, and keep the momentum going uh, for this channel and channels like this where people are sharing their testimonies. Deacon Deacon Don, I, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to be on the program. And I also want to thank you for, I don't know how often people say this, I get in the mindset when I speak to veterans, military veterans, thank you for your service. But when I when I meet deacons and priests, clergy, I want to say the same. Thank you for your service. Thank you for saying yes to the Lord. Um, now, maybe we can start there. When did you come to the diaconate? What year was oh. that? Um, well, I was I, I entered the formation program in 2008, and I was ordained in 2012. And what? And I want to do this on purpose. I want to start kind of with the most recent um, events, and then go back. Okay. So, if you were to think from 2012 ordination to the current day, what would you? What would you? How would you describe that? that decade of the journey um well how much time do we have together (laughs) um i'll tell you um i may not be your typical deacon um and and i i suppose we'll speak a little bit about what i did before holy orders but i i may not be your typical deacon i vividly remember seeing the state of affairs in our country back in 2008, 9, 10, 11, and seeing how much division there was in society and how it seemed as though there was some sort of movement against everything that is holy. And I kind of saw that back, back then. And I remember saying to myself, and I remember telling my wife that I felt as though I was being ordained into martyrdom. Um, Not necessarily a bloody martyr, but certainly a white martyr. I felt as though I was being ordained into martyrdom. It's just part of my personality that I'm, I'm not somebody that is going to quietly sit by and allow things to occur around me and, and not say something, not speak the truth. And so I would say these last 10 years um, has been, um, it's been rocky. You know, there have been times when I would say things that I know is absolutely canonical truth. And yet there's a lot of people that just don't want to hear it because it rubs, it rubs against their lifestyle it rubs against their the thing the the belief system that they would want to have 
And, um, you know, I mean, people make comments and complaints and my response typically is the same over and over again. And, you know, the Catholic Church is fantastic. It's the one place where you're allowed to plagiarize scripture. So I would say to people, you know, just like Jesus had said when he was being prosecuted, if I spoke wrongly, speak of the wrong and, you know, tell me what was it and be specific. What is it that I said that was in error? And of course, it's silence, you know, silence comes back. Um, but you get a whole lot of, well, it, it just, that's not what I think the scripture says, and that's not what I believe. And Jesus is all loving and all merciful, and he's all forgiving. And so, you know, there's this, there's this predominant feeling that you can behave however you want, and Jesus is just going to forgive it. Um, and and folks tend to have an attitude. They 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 tend to somewhat distort what mercy actually is, and they tend to forget that you know mercy comes about when you're talking about what the punishment might be. Mercy doesn't come into play if you're going to take the position of perpetual sinful behavior and just say this is me. And, you know, I guess God has to just accept that this is my lifestyle. And because God is merciful, he's going to allow it. And that's just, I, I, I've yet to find where it says anything remotely close to that. Certainly mercy is, is available to us when we pray the chaplet of divine mercy. The, the, the concluding prayer talks about how, you know, unfathomable the depths of God's mercy but mercy comes into play after you've admitted that you've sinned and you're asking for forgiveness and you genuinely want to repent mercy comes into play in the confessional when you when you pray and ask for forgiveness and you you declare out loud that it's your intention to avoid whatever leads you to sin you know, mercy is not a get out of jail free card that you don't have to work for. Wow. Yeah. And well so said. So, so you yeah. so you're saying this thread you've seen throughout these past 10 years, and that's what's been when you say a rocky road, that's what you're speaking to is the the relativism that yeah, well, yeah. Seen. Pope Benedict Pope Benedict spoke of, you know, uh, radical secularism and Pope Benedict spoke about you know, the uh, relativism. And I, I, you know, I don't, I don't consider myself to be a theologian, but I would say the heresy of modern society, the, the current heresy that we're living under is this, this notion of, of, you know, of relativism where, you know, it's like, I'm all right. You're all right. It's okay. It's, my, my favorite is when somebody says, as long as you're a good person, that's all that matters. And it's like, no, you got to it's got to be more than well, that. Well, Deacon Don, describe what what a good person is. I mean, you should oh, yeah. ask, you we should respond a, and say what 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 is that person? Exactly. We just had in we just had in, in in the readings not not too many weeks ago where, you know, we, it was talking about how even the pagans are nice to each other. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it takes a lot more than just simply being a good person. You know, I mean, even C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, he spoke about this notion 
of understanding what is inherently good and bad. You know, even a thief knows when he's getting ripped off. <laughs> so, you know, this idea of, well, you know, as long as you're a good person, that's enough. No, yeah. it's not. No, that's great. So, um, so that defines, and, and I, you know what, we'll return to that towards the end. Now, if we can go to the beginning and, you know, the childhood, did you, is there a parallel between what you just said and what you saw as a kid or how you were raised or how has the world shifted and how has your journey kind of paralleled that? Um, I would, I, 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 I just, I owe everything, I really owe everything to God. I mean, I, I remember from the youngest age that I could think of, I just remember always wrestling with the notion of what's right and what's wrong. And granted, didn't always follow it. You know, I mean, I was, I was just as much of a pagan teenager as most people are growing up in modern society, you know, I'm, I, uh, I, 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 I'll tell this story. So when, you know, my parents, you know, my parents, of course, growing up after the second Vatican council, you know, having that whole experience of this new liberated church where, um, so much of the implementation of the second Vatican council was misunderstood and, and done poorly, but nevertheless, my parents grew up in this environment where um, there was a lot of liberties taken with regards to our relationship to Christ and the church. And so I was not properly catechized as a kid. I wasn't properly catechized. You know, my I remember my father telling me, and now this is prior to receiving confirmation, because, of course, once you receive confirmation, then the attitude is, OK, you're an adult in the eyes of the church. If you don't want to go to don't want to go to mass on Sunday, that's entirely up to you. So, of course, I didn't. But um, prior to that, prior to that, I remember my father telling me, you have to go to church because, you know, you're getting ready for a confirmation. And he would say to me, he would tell me, he said, I want you to go get me to bulletin. And I want you to tell me what color the priest is wearing so that I know you actually went. Now, at the time, of course, I had no real understanding of liturgical seasons and the vestments. I thought that he just, you know, he always said he was an altar boy when he was a kid. So I was like, oh, wow, he really knows his stuff. Little <laughs> do I realize how simplistic that whole uh, mirage was. But anyway, so what do you think I did? Went into the church grabbed the bulletin, looked to see what color the priest was wearing, and then I immediately left, met up with my friends over at the train tracks and smoked cigarettes or some dopey thing like that. Um, but that, I mean, I really was not catechized as, at all growing up, but I do recall always having, always having a relationship with understanding the difference between good and bad always kind of understanding. I used to have this little expression that I would repeat to myself where I would say, there's enough evil in the world. I don't need to add to it. And so growing, and I could only, I could only give thanks to God for, for creating me with that kind of attitude. Um, and I saw 
I saw, you know, my fair share of just nasty behavior. I remember I'll tell that I don't think I've told anybody this story. I was working as a as a young teenager in a pizzeria and I was working uh, as a dishwasher and I was probably, I don't know, 13, 14 years old, something like that. And I remember we were getting close to closing and this young teenage girl walks in and she's covered in mud and she's shaking and she told us that she was just attacked. And so, of course, the manager, I mean, I was just a kid, um, but the manager did what the manager needed to do with police and whatever. But I mean, I just remember looking at her and that was probably my first, that was probably my first real encounter with evil, or at least the, the effects of evil. You know, seeing this, she was probably, I don't know, 15, 16 years old. And she looked like she was just thrown down into a muddy puddle and she was a mess and she was shaken. So when you ask, have I always seen this? I mean, I've been exposed to it. Um, after high school, I joined the military. I served in the Air Force as, a, as an aircraft mechanic. So, I mean, I didn't see any horrors of the world in that in that time. I do remember one time we flew, we flew a humanitarian mission into um, Insulik, Turkey. We were just delivering a bunch of cargo. And I remember leaving the base and walking into town and walking into town, um, the roads were dirt roads. There were people selling their wares on the side of the road. And, I re and the poverty was just palpable. I mean, you just felt it in the air. And I remember saying to myself, I need to get out of here and get back to the base. I just, I just, it just felt like I was wearing all of the poverty. And so, you know, that was another experience that I have. And then after the military, um, I, I became a New York City police officer. And, you know, so I, I, I did a career as a New York City police officer. I, I worked in some, some pretty rough areas. And so I saw quite a bit in that experience as well, you know, and, and I, I, I have to, again, give give thanks to God because all of my life experiences kind of moved me forward and propelled me towards the diaconate. How, how long were you a police officer in New York? About 15 years. Okay. Now during that period and even during military, were you going to church, any church? Okay. So um, the short answer is no. Like I said, I mean, I, I don't consider myself any different than the average person. You know, I kind of jokingly say, but maybe it's not so much of a joke. I'm just as much of a pagan as everybody else. Um, what happened with regards to going to church and the diaconate and all of that. So I'm, I'm working in police headquarters in New York City. And my, my supervisor was the historian for one of the Catholic men's, well, men and women, one of the Catholic fraternal organizations, the, the NYPD Emerald Society. He was a historian and we're in the office and he starts asking me questions about the church. Hey, did you know this? Hey, do you know what that's for? I feel like an idiot. I didn't know the answer to anything. I said, I, I barely know the Our Father and the Hail Mary. That's about it. 
And uh, the next day he comes back into work and he hands me a book. And the book is, Why Do Catholics Do That? And um, he goes, here, you should read this. You should know your faith. You should know the religion that you have. So I take the book home and, and I'm, I'm, I read through it. And the book has a lot to do with, you know, the parts of the mass and, and the role of the priest and, you know, vestments and, and you know, all that stuff, the, all, you know, the, the basic tenets of the faith. And then I come to a chapter and the chapter is entitled The Role of the Deacon. And I start reading through that and it was like a light went on. And I started to reflect on throughout my entire life and how, you know, God had planted this seed in me from the point of my conception to be his servant. And that seed kind of stayed dormant for all these for all those years. But it was definitely there. And I guess I guess, you know. My attitude towards good and evil, my attitude towards right and wrong really is evidence of that seed. And it was just, you know, waiting for the right time for it to start to grow. And so after that, that was in 1999. And then after that, then. So I told you I started the diaconate program in 2008. So you see nothing happened overnight. You know, 1999 is when is when the light bulb turned on. But, you know, I was still pretty much dumbfounded as to what to do with it for a bunch of years afterwards. So, so from 99 to 08, so you're in the police force the entire time? Is that yeah. right? And so from 99 to 2008, I was working in police headquarters. Yeah. And um, there's a Catholic church, very, very short walking distance from the police headquarters building, um, St. Andrew's Church. And so I would go there lunchtime for mass. And there would be, you know, one or two other folks from the office and we'd walk over there and and that kind of, you know, that kind of really started to bring me back. And then as an aside to that, you know, I'm I'm I was married and started going to Sunday mass with my wife and I remember sitting in my home parish and just sitting in the pew. It just it felt right. It just felt it felt right. That's the best way I could say it. Um, and then I started getting in, you know, over that over that period of time, I started getting involved being an usher and whatnot, and, you know, little things like that until I, I entered the program. So when you say enter the program, so again, the four-year diaconate program, but leading up to that, you know, you're going to Sunday mass, you're going to some sometimes daily mass. Yeah. Do you remember like was healing taking place because again yeah you had this tremendous gift where you were describing you know you were just aware of, of the lord and, and aware of good and evil did you feel like healing was taking place leading up to that to that call um or i should say well, I, you already had the call as like as you said but it was kind of dormant um yeah I, I i see where you're going with this um I'm trying to put it into into some common language. Um, you know, it's kind of like, okay, it's kind of like, you know, you're five years old and you get into an argument or you get in trouble at home and you decide to run away from home, you know, and then 
after your folks or your older siblings go look for you and says, get your butt home, you know, you're not doing this. Um, and then you finally do get home and, and you, you know, you, you find your way back into your bedroom and it's like, okay, I'm in my safe place. I feel safe. I didn't get in as big a trouble as I thought. My parents are not as angry as I thought they would be. I'm not going to get a spanking or whatever the scenario is. It's a lot like that, you know? It's a lot like I've been rebellious. I've been away from the church. I thought I knew better. I thought I didn't need this. And then there's that hesitation of going back because, you know, you got to stand in front of your parents. Your parents know exactly what you've been up to. Um, and so there's a paranoia. There's, a, there's an anxiety of how much trouble is this going to be? And then when it actually happens, like, well, that wasn't nearly as bad as I thought. And and then, you know, I guess in my case now, with regards to coming back to the church, slowly, well, actually, in my case, it wasn't that slowly. I found myself having an attitude of recognizing what I was missing and being determined to never let go of it again. And so I guess you can say that that was the healing. And and in many regards, it kind of leads into the whole thing about me talking about martyrdom, because now my attitude is, you can hate me all day, I'm fine with that, but this is the truth, and and this is what I need to say. And, and I'm going to say it, you know, and I, I remember, I told my wife, I said, you know, there's a lot of things happening in the church right now. You know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I don't understand happening in Germany right now. And there is a lot of church leadership that is not saying things that I think they should be saying right now. And I don't know why. I mean, I'm just a simple deacon. And but the whatever reach I might have, I can't not speak truth. And so you know, this is all part of my attitude of I'm not, I'm, you know, it's it's like the woman that was hemorrhaging. I'm, I grab hold of the garment of Jesus and I am not letting go of it. I do not want to suffer anymore. Very well said. Do you remember when you went back to confession after being away from the church for so many years? Yeah, so... Actually, I went to I went back to confession prior prior to this. I went back to confession as part of actually no, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. So my wife and I, this okay, this will make sense. My wife and I, we we um we were married by a justice of the peace at our local town hall. And then about a year later, so now we're we're talking about actually it was a yeah it was about a about year almost two years later, almost two years later, we um we adopted two boys from a Russian orphanage, and when we came home, they were about a year and a half old, thereabouts by the time we came home. So yeah, so this is about two years afterwards. When we came home, we um, we had been going to church during this time. Um, 
I didn't go to confession. But when we came home with the boys, we spoke to our parish priest, who was a wonderful man, a wonderful pastor, a wonderful priest, Father Gus. We spoke to Father Gus and we said, Father Gus, we want to have the babies baptized. And I said to him, I said, um, would it be possible, would it be possible for you to marry us? Can we schedule that prior to the baby's baptism? Because I, I, I had no, I had no idea what convalidation was. So I said to him, I said, can we get married prior? Because I think I, I want, I feel as though I, I feel as though we should be married before we baptize the boys. And he said to us, he said, well, I'll do them both at the same time. I said, you could do that. He goes, yeah, I'm a priest. I can do that. So what we ended up doing was we sent out invitations for the christening and everybody that came to the church, they, they got a two for one deal because he celebrated mass for us. It was a private mass. So there was like maybe 25, 30 people there. He celebrated a private mass for us and he incorporated into the nuptial mass a baptism. And so it was a beautiful experience. Now, Prior to that, so we're having this conversation about baptizing and, and the marriage and everything. And to answer your question about confession, and I recommend that everyone that's married does this, even though it's hard. I said to Father Gus, I said, it's been a while, maybe like 20 years, but would you hear my confession? And he said, of course. And then he looks over at my wife, who's sitting next to me, and, you know, he says, Marilyn, her name is Marilyn. Marilyn, would you excuse us? And I said, no, Father, I want her to stay. And so what I did was I went, I went back to high school, and I thought to myself, if we're going to do this, if we're going to you know, if we're going to get married in the in the eyes of the church, if we're going to get married under under God's gaze, she should hear everything. I should confess everything in front of her. Not that she injected herself into the sacrament, sure, but she was present, and I felt as though that for me was was incredibly healing as well. Another, another um, fantastic answer. The depth there is certainly something to, um, something that inspires me is that idea that you're being open and you're saying, I believe in sacramental matrimony. Here I am, that kind of thing. Um, so now if you can address the years in the formation program. I think that would be helpful for a lot of listeners. Yeah, let me see if I can do this without getting excommunicated. <laughs> I had a priest, I had a priest tell me, I had a priest tell me that, and I'm not going to mention his name. I had a priest tell me that when he was in seminary, they had this thing they had this thing, um, it was an acronym, S-U-G-O, SUGO. 
And it was something that everybody kind of understood. And the acronym stands for S-U-G-O, Shut Up, Get Ordained. And that was kind of, he said to me, he goes, whatever your personal opinions are, don't argue. He knew me very well. He said, don't argue. Don't be difficult. Just get through the program and then you can be whatever kind of deacon you want to be. Shut up, get ordained. Sue go. And I remember I, I said, okay, well, thank you for that. Thank you for that advice. But um, yeah, I couldn't do that. I had trouble doing that. Um, whatever questions I had, I would ask the questions. If I didn't agree with something, I would say, this doesn't make sense. Um, you know, I remember, I remember, um, I remember having a conversation with the director of the program, wonderful, wonderful deacon, Deacon Anthony Casanetto, wonderful deacon. And I remember kind of, I mean, he knew my personality. He knew, he knew me, he knew what I was all about. And I remember expressing to him a little bit of concern that, you know, maybe I'm a little too rough around the edges. Maybe I speak my mind a little too freely. And I, I remember vividly him saying to me, the church needs men like you. And, you know, that affirmation was incredibly helpful. I'm sure that there were some instructors that wished that that was never said to me because I had no problem making, you know, in, you know, some of the deacons that were teaching or the priests that were teaching or the lay people that were teaching. I mean, I would make them dig deeper and deeper and deeper and explain to me why this, why that, where does this come from? Where does that come from? Um, maybe that goes back to my, my police career where I don't take things on face value. I need to dig deeper, but once I get to the bottom and I understand, oh man, I, I will defend it to the death. That's that's what I was just going to ask you. You get locked in once you reach that conclusion and you're you're satisfied because there is a satisfactory answer in all of yep. these instances. You just have to ask the question. So that's what I, that was the other thing I was going to ask you. So you're digging deep in all these years. Do you feel that that made you once ordained a stronger uh, more faith-filled deacon having having the permission i guess <laughs> reluctant permission to be able to express or ask those questions so here's here's the thing here's the thing what one of the things that i one of the things let me share this with you if you take a look at this um this virtual picture that i have behind me i yeah. chose it on purpose a couple of reasons one reason is the room that I'm sitting in is not very attractive. But the other reason is this is a this is a picture of a monastery that my family and I that we lived at for three years. This is the lake. This is a, a one shot of a fifteen hundred acre monastery in the middle of nowhere in the Catskill Mountains of upstate New York, and it was an incredible experience being there. Um, this also was a very it was a difficult assignment to be, you know, living with a group of cloistered sisters in the middle of nowhere. Very difficult for my wife, very difficult for my two teenage children that were living on the monastery grounds with us also for three years. But 
it was a very enriching experience. And one of the things, one of my takeaways, going back to formation in the seminary and this whole notion of Sugo, I remember vividly saying to myself and telling other men, other, other men in the program, I don't care if I ever get ordained. That's not important. I will serve however God wants me to serve. If God wants me to serve as an usher handing out bulletins at the end of mass, great. You know, I, 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 I almost feel as though if you find men that come to holy orders kicking and screaming, they will be the best members of the clergy you will have. I fear the idea that if holy orders is some kind of brass ring on the merry-go-round, some kind of prize, some kind of trophy, um, some kind of selfish benefit, that these are the worst men to come to holy orders. Uh, so, you know, some of the greatest experiences that I've ever had are experiences that I I hated. I mean, that were rough. That I that I, I while in the middle of it, I was like, "This sucks," you know. But you know, God is a whole lot smarter than I am, and so yeah, you know, you come out of these experiences, and you have a deeper understanding of relationship. That's really what it comes—a deeper understanding of relationship, and it doesn't matter what your vocation is. Yeah. Every role, every relationship with God is, is equally powerful. You know, it makes me think of, I heard a few stories from some Navy SEALs and what you were saying about those that come in kicking and screaming. This is not a direct parallel, but it made me yeah. think of these, these men that would approach buds training like they, Oh, I was the number one, track star or I can dive with the best of them and then they'd be the first to ring the bell yep. versus the guys that came in with this maybe some reluctance uh, a lot of humility but they also knew when to kick that confidence into gear it, it's an interesting balance but I remember several people saying that that those that came in with this like you said the golden ring type their brass ring mm -hmm. idea oh this is going to be a prize I think I'll check this off my bucket list I'll become right. seal, and then they get their butts handed to them. So no, it's true. It's yeah. true, and and you know it, it's kind of like um, my wife and I. We just celebrated twenty five years of marriage, and you know anybody that's been married a long time, you you know it, it's not it's not unicorns and lollipops every single day. You know it's not. You know you, there are times where it's like, what the heck. Who is this person? You know, but you stick it out. You know, you, the the one the, the one bit of advice that I remember was given to me by my uh, my 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 pastor because I remember I remember I was I was in the program and I remember I, I went to go see spend some time with him and and I said to him I said what the hell am I doing? What am I doing? I don't know if this is the right thing. And then he, he smacks me in the back of the head and he goes, "Shut up, you moron." You know, it's like, and he says to me, he goes, see it through, see it through to the end, you know, stay the course, stay the course. Uh, because, you know, for all of us, that's how the devil gets inside your head. It just starts with a little suggestion, you know, 
You know, it's just like back in the garden, you know, surely God didn't say you were going to die. You know, I mean, that's how the devil comes for all of us. That little suggestion that that dissuades us from staying the course. See it through to the end. Well, yeah. Well said. Uh, I think of St. Anthony the Great. If anyone has a chance to read about his life uh, and the virtue of fortitude, it was that idea where his his commitment was it wasn't even a question. It was all the way to the end. And once he put that the stake in the proverbial ground, that that's it. You you do not have time. You you are too uh, preoccupied with surrendering to the Lord to hear these whispers that get you off course. And it, anyway, his life just yeah. exemplifies what, what you're talking about. Um, yeah. your, your shirt is like screaming at me in a very good way. What can you say about choosing to wear Our Lady of Guadalupe? And how I'm, I don't know if you wear that on a regular basis or what? Can you speak well, I, about it? So that everybody can see it. Yep. So um, I, I don't, I just, this was totally by accident. I wasn't, <laughs> wasn't playing out there. In the, I love it. Completely by accident. Um, probably, oh, I, I guess, I guess it's been only a couple of years now that um, I've started to really, really have a relationship with the Blessed Mother. I mean, it, it's been fairly recent, you know, the Blessed Mother, on purpose, on purpose, she um, she humbles herself tremendously. She is so incredibly humble on purpose. I would say, even to the point of not even being noticeable, she humbles herself that much. And I could say throughout most of my life, she has humbled herself so much that she has been unnoticeable to me. You know, everybody talks about the Trinity. Everybody talks about Jesus. But, you know, and and people talk about the Blessed Mother. But in my own, in my own growth, my own spiritual growth, I haven't, I haven't been able to really in, appreciate and enjoy a profound relationship with the Blessed Mother, like some people do. Some people talk about the Blessed Mother and, you know, Mama Mary is everything and God bless them for that. Um, but I would tell people, you know, the Catholic Church is like this beautiful buffet line. There's plenty for everybody to find your own little niche of what's going to bring you closer to Christ. And so, you know, I mean, for, for folks that for folks that that don't have a relationship with the Blessed Mother or for folks that don't pray the rosary on a daily basis, okay, you know, don't don't beat yourself up because you don't pray the rosary every day. Although I would say, give it a try because you'd be amazed as to what might happen. And And that's kind of what happened for me. A while ago, I challenged myself to pray the rosary religiously, no pun intended, every day, without fail, every single day, pray the rosary. And then that grew into praying the rosary twice a day, once in the morning and once at night. And what I found, what I found, and it's just, you know, it's just obvious. You want to hear somebody's voice? 
Start by having a conversation with them. And that's what I found. And the rosary is a conversation with Christ through the Blessed Mother. And I found allowing that conversation to exist, I started to hear her voice. Not audible, don't call 911, I don't need to go to the hospital. But through my heart, I started to hear her inspired voice on my heart. Wow. And, um, and, and it, it's, it's, you know, and then, and then, you know, words like co-redemptrix take on a whole new meaning when you have a relationship with the Blessed Mother. Wow. Um, yeah, I think that a lot of people don't fully grasp it. It certainly took me a while to understand what it means to be, to actually have your hand held, like, let yourself be led to Jesus and the relationship that develops in that process is remarkable if you humble yourself yeah. and, and, and understand that you may not have all the answers. And in right. this case, especially as it relates to Mar Marian teaching, that you may have uh, so many misconceptions about oh, yeah. the, the beauty of relationship, the beauty of intercession. Um, Go ahead. Were you going to say something? Well, else? The, the big thing, the big thing is, I mean, I, you know, especially as men, I'm sure we can relate to this. Even if we didn't have a very good relationship with our own mother, still, who did we run to when we were in pain and we were like four years old? You ran to mom, you know, even if back in the 60s, mom's sitting on the couch smoking a cigarette or whatever, it doesn't matter. You still ran to her. You still ran to her. You know, she was still the one. And, yeah. and so, you know, even if you didn't have a great relationship with your own mother, that's who you went to when you were hurting and you you were confused and didn't know what to do or or somebody was picking on you and you felt horrible or whatever. You didn't feel good. You had a fever. You know, you, you still ran to mom. And I would say that doesn't stop. That doesn't stop. And the Blessed Mother... The, best, the, the, the most profound thing that the Blessed Mother has done for me is allow me to run to her, not even knowing what the question is that I want to ask, but just with, with an emotion that I don't know what to do with, and I run to her, I don't know how to communicate it, I don't even know what to ask for, and she's still wraps her arms around me and just says it's going to be okay beautiful i've got you beautiful you don't have to talk about it you don't have to express yourself i'm your mother i know and just hold me wow yeah and and that's what i was saying about the humility to be a man a grown man that can be open to that reality it can be um, comfortable with that reality. There have been, a, I've met a number of men and we've discussed that, like how difficult is it to be consoled as a grown man? For some reason, you think that that, what you just described is somehow a sign of weakness when in fact, that is the sign of strength that you don't resort to some type of outlet 
but that you seek true comfort. Well, let, let, let's put it in perspective. Am I a grown man or am I a child still in the womb waiting for rebirth? Because our true citizenship is heaven. Am I not a grown man, but am I still being formed in the eternal womb yet to be born on the day of my death? And if I allow myself to think of my life in those terms. That changes everything. Yeah. The gray hair doesn't mean anything. That's right. I'm right there. <laughs> I'm right there with you, brother. Um, and and so, actually, this is something that I, this is something that I preached on this past Sunday. Yeah. You know, this past Sunday, we had the reading of Samuel, you know, and, and, and the, the, the boys and, Daniel's getting the, you know, uh, you know, David's getting the short end of the stick and he's, and then finally reluctantly he gets anointed and all that. Um, and then, you know, Paul is talking to the Ephesians and telling them, you know, wake up, you're sleeping, you're sleepwalking, wake up. Yep. So I was, I, 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 every once in a while I'll, I'll bring in a, a prop because sometimes it's easier to capture the explanation if you can see it. And so I brought in for mass, for my homily, I brought in a hundred foot length of rope and I stretched it out the center aisle all the way to the back of the church. And I took 12 inches and I wrapped some red electrical tape on, on 12 inches of one end of it. And I asked the question, I said, if this entire length of rope is your life and this, you know, this 12 inch piece on the, on the one end is your life now and the rest is your life eternal how much attention do you pay to life eternal compared to this dinky little 12 inch piece maybe we should be spending more time preparing for life eternal because if you put it in contrast to each other we're, we're, we're going to be there lickety split and we don't have a whole lot of time to prepare and we're wasting it if we're thinking about things that don't really matter at all. We obsess over stuff that is so stupid and trivial. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So in closing, we're, we're now yeah. back, let's say, to where we began, talking about relativism. What is the antidote to what you've experienced in the past 10 years? So, so I've spoken about this with other people we need to be unapologetically Catholic. And we need to trust. We need to do more than just say that we're Catholic. We have to actually trust and believe the things that we pray about. You know, if we say, you know, on the bottom of the divine mercy image that St. Faustina gave us, it says, Jesus, I trust in you. Do we? Do we really that's the question. That's what we need to, to do as individuals. We need to not be afraid of putting our necks on the chopping block. I mean, really, if you think about it, yeah, it'll suck for our family if we end up dying from martyrdom. But why is it that for the first 300 or so years of the church's history, every single pope that was elected knew that they were being elected to their own execution? But yet they still accepted it. How is it possible? I, I had a friend of mine in the police department 
baptized, raised Catholic, but then became, you know, one of these Viking pagans that are so popular now today. Mm. And I remember him even saying to me, there must have been something that happened at Pentecost to have these guys who were hiding in fear of their life that they were going to get locked up next. And then something happened that made them comfortable enough to kick the door open and start speaking in public freely. And of course, you know, when the Holy Spirit enters you in a profound way and you accept it, you really, really accept it. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what happens to me. I'm going to speak the truth and I'm going to be unapologetically Catholic. And that's the only antidote. Stop making excuses. Stop making accommodations based on people's feelings. We're called, we are called to renew our minds. We are called to transcend this world. We're, we're called, everybody's heard the expression, we're supposed to be living in the world and not being of the world. And Amen. so we have to live a life that is unapologetically Catholic. I don't know how true this story is, but I remember somebody telling me that McDonald's filet of fish sandwich has its existence because of the Catholic Church. Is that I right? Heard, I, I, if it's not a true story, it's still a great story. It is a great story. Yeah. So the way that this goes, for those that aren't familiar with it, assuming this is a true story, back when McDonald's Corporation was growing and growing, they had a marketing meeting, they had a finance meeting, and they were noticing that on Fridays, hamburger sales were going down. And somebody in the boardroom said, yeah, that's because the Catholics don't eat meat on Friday. And what are we going to do about it? Yeah. And what are we going to do about that? Well, yeah. they eat fish. Okay, let's make a filet of fish sandwich. Get those Catholics back in here on Friday. And if there's any question, add a slice of cheese or two. Yeah. yeah. Now, I don't know if that's a true story, but it's a great story. I'll take that. I'm going to I'm going to assume it is true. I'm going to run with that. There's a there's a lot there. Um I want to thank you, Deacon Don. This has been fantastic. Thank you for thank sharing you. all those stories and being open about everything. And I, you know, really appreciate it. I know the listeners do as well. Um, so again, please subscribe, please share this video. And I thank you always. And please pray for Deacon Don, myself. We will pray for you. And until next time, take care and God bless.